I made this note. I said, for the person who is daily walking in union with Christ as a lifelong learner of the attributes of God, what do you think is going to happen to their peace meter? What do you think is going to happen to their grace meter? What's going to happen to their faith meter? Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Oh, Father, we come before you today and we confess that it's, it's hard to hear you clearly when we're doing the talking. Father, we confess today it's hard to hear your still small voice when we're stressed because our schedules are overextended. Oh, Father, we just ask in deep humility and deep contrition, a deep repentance, God, that you would turn us from that, that we would just look to you for our hope, look to you for our identity, look to you for our worth, oh God. Well, Father, I pray in this place today that you would move and stir in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, will you grip, will you move, will you shake like only you can? Illuminate divine truth in my life, and I pray that you would illuminate the divine truth all over this place today, that, that we would leave here today refreshed, that we would leave here today encouraged. But yet, Lord, I pray that we would leave here today challenged, challenged to be on the mission like never before. Challenged to be all in for your glory like never before. Oh, Father, we submit to you today. And Father, I personally ask, move me out of the way, God. I got nothing good to say, nothing. But you got everything good to say. So I pray, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, O oh God, be acceptable to you and to you alone, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this all in the mighty and the matchless name of the risen Savior, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to Second Peter, Second Peter, looking at chapter 1. I pray you have your Bible. Um, I have an ESV for uh, you that are wondering. I have an ESV translation that I teach from. Uh, but I pray that you have a Bible open, and I pray your notes are open, and most importantly, I pray that your heart is open. And, you know, it's one thing to say, are we in the Word? And that's a good question. That's a great question. Are we in the Word? But ultimately, we have to ask, is the Word in us? You know, it's interesting, as we think about three particular words today in these two verses, uh, we see these words used often flippantly with great misunderstanding, 
And these three words, as you'll see here, are typically these thoughts of what? Faith, grace, and peace. You know, often when we look at faith and grace and peace, we perhaps don't have a true biblical understanding, two things, of what they really mean. Number two, how do they connect together? Like if someone was to ask you today, what is faith? What is grace? And what is peace? What would you say? Could you give an articulate, condensed biblical answer? Then what if they said this, hey, I got another question for you. How do these three giant tenets of the Christian faith, how do they connect together? Could you answer that? Well, I pray today that that mission will be solved. And so let's look together here at these two verses in our Bibles 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. It says this, uh, Simeon Peter, a servant, very key, and apostle of Jesus Christ, hmm, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, how? By the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, here's verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? This is very key. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We came out of 1 Peter and we studied those five chapters in depth, word for word, verse for verse, and we took a, a one-week hiatus, and now we're diving now into Second Peter, and here Peter is, and he's writing again, and I don't know about you, but when you read a book, how many, by the way, let me just back up for a second, how many of you like to read? Any readers in the room? Boy, uh, quite a few in the room. Do you typically, when you read a book, do you ignore who the author is? I know when I read a book, when I look at a book, one of the first things I do is I want to see who wrote it. I want to learn about the author. I pray that we don't forget ultimately who wrote this book. The power of the Holy Spirit divinely illuminated Peter in this writing, but I pray that we never forget this, that Peter lived a life at one point of great denial against Christ and then Christ, by His power, by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, used Peter to actually be one of those disciples, those apostles that turned the world upside down for Jesus. That is the power of God, amen? You see this word here, this title, this name, uh, Simeon Peter. Interesting that the word Simeon there means hearkening. And the word Peter, Petros, you probably know that, means rock. So you have this hearkening rock. But when you think of Peter, what do you think of? <laughs> Any thoughts on Peter? He was quiet, wasn't he? Real docile, bashful, shy, hated knives. That's not the Peter I read about. He's the first one to chop off ears, first one out of the boat, first one to speak. Bless you. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So, so Peter, 
This is the key on this. Peter, this hearkening rock that Jesus says, look, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, I would never do that to you, Lord. And yet when push comes to shove, you see what happened in Peter's life. But Jesus says, my hand's upon you. My hand's upon you. That in the midst of your mess, I'll create the message. In the midst of your brokenness, I'll create the breakthrough. In the midst of your trials, I'll create a triumph. That's what Christ does. He, he, he makes all things new. And, and the great example is right here in the author of this book that Peter, that Peter was once here saying, I don't know this man. And, and yet we see there at the end of his life, and we're going to study this here in a few weeks, that he's about ready to die. He's about ready to be executed. And, and he goes from, I don't know this man, to I live for this man. Like, how do you get there, church? How do you get to the point where you don't know this man, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'm willing to die for this man? How do you get there? Well, I believe it's through faith, grace, and a peace that surpasses all human understanding. I want you to write down this key number one in your notes. Write this down. To those who have given their lives to God through the righteousness of Jesus alone, they will become His willing servants. Let me say that again, write it down. This is because of Peter's faith in Christ. To those who have given their lives, as we talked this morning, the intent is there because it's the motive that backs up the action. To those who have given their lives to God through the righteousness of Jesus alone, nothing else, they will become His willing servants. You say, where do you get that from? Well, well look in your Bible. Look at verse 1. Simeon Peter, hearkening rock, a servant, a doulos, a, a willing servant, and apostle. So very interesting. He, he's coming out of this gate and he's saying, look, I don't want you reader, I don't want you reader to think that you know, I'm up here and you're down here. I got it all together and you don't. No, he's saying, look, we're in this thing together that I'm a willing servant, that I, I've willingly given up my rights. See, that's what the word means. That when you give your life to Christ and it's true and it's real, and it's just not an action, it's just not an external, but you're truly giving your life to Jesus what you are in essence saying is this, my life is no longer my own. I give you all of my life. I'm surrendering everything to you. I'm holding nothing back. I'm pushing the blank sheet of the contract of my life across the table to you, Jesus. There's not any fine print, not any clauses, escape hatches. It's just, Lord, you fill it in. You use me for your praise, your glory, all the days of my life. And we know that when the people do that, I'm living it. I know people that are living it as well in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the pushback, in the midst of the slander, in the midst of fill in the blank. Here's the deal. You will have a peace that surpasses all human understanding. And it's a peace that will confound even the quote-unquote wise of the world. The thought occurred to me when I was writing that down. What is this faith? Let me read this again. 
Simon Peter, a servant, a doulos, a willing slave, an apostle, a messenger of Jesus Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith, faith. The Bible talks about faith from beginning to end. Uh, Often we might say faith in our Mickey Mouse cultural Christianity culture that we live in, you know, that faith is just simply, I believe. Well, we know this from studying James, that even the demons believe and tremble, so not good enough. The word believe, every time you see that in Scripture, especially as you journey into the New Testament, make a note of this. Every time you see the word believe, it's not passive, but there's action associated with it. You don't passively just sit back and go, I believe. That's why so many fall away. And by the way, in the last days, what does the Bible say? That many will fall away. Why? Because the road's narrow, it's a narrow road. And those that really aren't in will go, hey, I'm not really up for this. But those that are really in will go, man, I'm all in for Jesus. Man, let's band together. Let's march in unity. Let's go turn the world upside down for the cause of the King who changed my life by His grace through faith. And now I have the result of that is a peace, a peace that can't be explained. Only this, it came from Jesus. I was thinking through that thought even deeper, and I wrote down this passage, John chapter 13. I want you to actually turn with me to John 13 in your Bible. Hold that place in 2 Peter. Because by the righteousness of God, it's the condition that's acceptable to God. Our Savior, our Deliverer, our Rescuer, our Preserver, Jesus Christ, that Jehovah is salvation, the Anointed One as we look at John 13 for a moment, I want you to see the greatest example of what it means to serve. A service is just not an act. You can serve in a church and be eternally lost. I believe that happens all the time. Again, it all goes back to where's my heart? Now, the heart that's truly redeemed will desire to serve. That's a true statement. But here we see in this glorious passage of John 13, 1 through 20, listen to these words. Powerful example. Servant leadership. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Now, just try to wrap your head around that one alone. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things, how many things, church? All things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. This is King Jesus. Like, this is the king doing this. And taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
Picture that, the king of glory, the dirty feet of the day. They're not walking on sidewalks or pavement, but they're walking in a place that, that had much dust and dirt, and they, they weren't wearing Nikes, they were wearing sandals, and their feet were dirty and gnarly. And, and here's the king of glory, the king of glory. He's taking the towel that's wrapped around himself, and he, he, he's getting low, he, he's going low, he, he, he's, he's modeling, he's showing what you and I, the true believer, must do. He, he's giving the example of what it means to serve, what it means to deny self and take up the cross and, and follow him. He's showing this here. And then what do you see? Here we go. You knew I had to bring Peter into this somehow. Amen. Well, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, now that's a shocker, right? Simon said something. I know, shocker. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Surprise, surprise, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Okay, so pause for a moment. So those are big boy words right there, right? You have no share with me. Okay. Peter changes his tune, doesn't he? What does he say here? Interesting. Nine, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only but also my hands and my head. He's like, break out the fire hose, Jesus. <laughs> man, I want a whole bath. Boy, if I don't get a share in you, man, do whatever you need to do. It goes on. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? I wonder if Jesus ever asked us that question. Do you really understand the grace? I mean, do you really, really understand the grace that I've given for you? He goes on, you call me teacher. So there it is, lip service. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, there it is, there's the command, you also ought to wash one another's feet. 15, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. And then he says these words after he says, look, model this, follow this, obey this. He says, truly, truly. Listen up, listen up, is what he's saying. Listen up, listen up. I say, this is good, so, so good. I say to you, a what? Servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Pause for a moment. You could say servant, doulos, willing slave. You could say messenger, the apostle. I mean, did you see the connection here? From here in this great, great writing in John to all the way back in Second Peter, you see the connection as Peter is seeing the message lived in front of him. 
17. If you know these things, blessed are you who, what church? Do them. It simply means this to obey. And if you're a parent in the room today and you got kids and you tell them to, you know, go do X, go do Y, and, and they don't do X, they don't do Y, it's, it's really great that they say they're going to go do them, but it's really not great if they don't do them. This is what Jesus is getting at here. He's like, it's one thing to say and talk a good game and, man, you're in and, you know, you're committed, but, but you're not really... And then what happens? Well, here it is. So powerful. 18, I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. Hmm. That will probably ruffle a few feathers. But the Scripture will be fulfilled. Who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Wow. Wow. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe by action, by faith, by grace, and have peace that I am He. Truly, truly, listen up, listen up. I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And all God's people said, Amen. Powerful. What a powerful visual of what it means to live as Christ. You know, what happens so often if we're not careful is that even in this Christian life, we forget that the essence of the Christian life is to put self on the shelf. I've seen more families and more ball teams and more businesses and more churches implode not because they're preaching the gospel, but because the enemy of self takes over. No one has to teach me, no one has to teach you how to be selfish. It's just part of what we do. Matter of fact, I was asking myself this question or these questions, and I'll just read to you what I wrote. I just wrote this down as I was asking myself. I was looking at me, and I pray you'd look at you. Here's what I wrote down. Do I check myself and my will at the door? Don't ask, what am I not getting? Ask, what am I not giving? Don't ask, what's in it for me? I got to think long term. I got to think generational. You got to look ahead. You got to look ahead and go, you know, what is it that those grandkids of mine are going to have when, when they're my age? And if we're looking inwardly and going, well, this is what I want, and this is my plan, and this is my focus, I'm just telling you, business ball team church is going to die. But when you look ahead and you go, what do I need to do? How can I take the gospel to reach the masses all over Chester and beyond? What do I need to do? My thoughts continued, and I asked myself, how can I deny myself today, like right now, to reach the next generation tomorrow? Am I leveraging what God has given me to live on mission? 
Am I having gospel conversations? Like, ask yourself rhetorically, when is the last time you shared the gospel with someone? I mean, if we really believe in the gospel, if we really believe that it rescues people, if we really believe that it's rescued our own souls, if we really believe that it's the greatest cure for the greatest disease called sin, and the greatest cure is Jesus Christ and His blood and His righteousness, won't we all be telling people about Jesus every day of the year? I mean, if you had the cure for cancer, would you keep that hidden? Man, we'd be telling everybody, wouldn't we? And yet we have the greatest cure for the most horrific disease called sin. And if the data is correct that I study all over our country and world, very few people actually share the gospel. It doesn't even make any logical sense. But we will share what we want, won't we? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Are you willing to be inconvenienced so that someone would give their life to Jesus? I mean, think about that one for a moment. Are you willing today to be inconvenienced so that someone would run to the cross? I don't know about you, but I'll stand up here and say this, sign me up. Like, sign me up. Man, it inconvenienced me all day long, man. As long as people are running to the cross of Jesus Christ, man, just... Lord, rock my world, bend me out of shape, get me out of the way. I just want to see people run to the cross, amen? Every morning, here would be a great thing to start, and it's something that I've implemented in my own life. Every morning I get up, here's what I say. Lord, this is your day, not mine. How can I serve you today? And what can I do to deny myself so that many might come to know your son, Jesus? Can you imagine you get a group of people that are saying that, praying that every single day to the Lord? Can you imagine what's going to happen? Forget outside their community, forget their church. Just think about what's going to happen in their home. You talk about transformational living. You talk about getting to the fabric of your community and weaving into that fabric, the DNA that, that we're on mission. And you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again, that my prayer is, as we're meeting with these schools, as we're meeting with these principals, and, and we're engaged with them, and we're, we're having these meetings, we're saying, what do you need? How can we come alongside of you? How can we serve your teachers? Our strategy, our plan behind this is just not so we can do more work. Our, here's our plan. Our plan is this, that when, when the crisis hits, that Enon Baptist Church church is one of the first places they call because they know that when we pray mountains get moved they know there is power in the blood of Jesus it's more than a song 
That's my vision right there. To see God do something so amazing. How about you? I mean, when you give something over to someone, if you're here today and you say, I've given my life to Jesus, I pray you have. When you give your life to him, when you give something to someone, how much of that something do you still hang on to when you give it to them? Be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Hey, Merry Christmas, I got a gift for you. Fantastic, what is it? It's a big box of chocolate. Praise be to Jesus, amen? Be kind of weird, wouldn't it, if you gave it to me and every morning at 7.02, you're on my front porch asking for some chocolate. Be a little strange, wouldn't it? We say we give our lives to Jesus, but how many times are we still just hanging on to our lives? Do we really understand what it means to have biblical faith? Do we really understand this thing called grace? I mean, we use it, we spout it off. Man, let me tell you this. If you and I really understand the grace of God, I mean, really understand it, it will do something so profound in your life that nothing else other than Jesus will begin to matter. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look at the second verse, our final verse. Now, Peter's writing, and he says, look, I want you to understand this. Again, these people that are suffering, they're going through hardship. He says, look, may the grace, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. How, church, say it out loud, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Grace. You know it by now, charis, unmerited favor. There's nothing, hear me clearly, according to Scripture, look up Ephesians chapter 2 later, that whole, actually just read the whole book of Ephesians, but Ephesians chapter 2, it's by grace you've been saved. If you're here today and you're truly saved and you know it, you're rescued, you're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, it's by grace you've been saved. There is nothing, zero, I'm talking zero, that you've brought to the equation, that I've brought to the equation, that God goes, you know what, that's actually pretty good. That's actually pretty amazing. I don't know how you slipped that one by me, but that's pretty cool. You know what, I do think, you know, based on what you can do in your own effort, yeah, I'm going to welcome you in. Not on your best day, not on my best day. It's only through the grace of God. Uh, we'll use acronyms sometimes. We'll say grace, uh, God's redemption at Christ's expense. Grace. It's his redemption. It's, it's his redeeming power that he, he purchases you. He, he buys you back. And church, I pray you begin to understand this, that if you're a professing believer in the church house today, what you're really saying is this, I understand. I embrace that God allowed his own son, his only begotten son, to be willingly executed, butchered, and tortured on my behalf, that he stood in my stead, that he took my place, that he was scourged, he was whipped, he was beaten, he hung on a cruel Roman cross. The Bible says that he was marred beyond recognition. All the pictures, you know, we see hanging up of Jesus, you know, blue eyes and flowing hair. That in and of itself is a little wild. He was marred beyond recognition for me. 
He was marred beyond recognition for you. He was disfigured is what it means. If we really begin to understand that, how can we toy around with this grace thing any longer? That's grace. Now, when you understand what it really means, when you understand what faith really is, without faith, it's impossible to please God. The faith, the belief is powerful. And matter of fact, when you look at this even deeper, you see this word peace. The tranquil state of the soul. You know, as I talk with people, I would say this, and when I say people, I'm talking about just wherever. Like, you know, I'm at Wawa, getting a chocolate chip muffin. Praise Jesus, amen. Wherever you're going. And I talk to people. Everywhere I go, I'm just talking. Just, here's a card. Jesus loves you. Like everywhere I'm going, I'm on a mission. Just he boom, 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 boom. You say, why do you do that? I'll tell you why. Because I know how wicked I am. And Jesus redeemed me. And I don't want to waste a moment. I don't want to waste a moment of my life using every moment to somehow bring in the gospel, to somehow plant a seed, to somehow share the truth of the King of glory that, that, hey, I know your mess is so horrible, but I know this, we got the great mess guy that can take the mess and he can create a glorious message. That's what Jesus does, amen? Peace, a tranquil state of the soul, that's due to the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. May this grace and this peace be multiplied, may it increase and abound, what? To you in knowledge. Now, this is very important. Second Peter has a whole new theme. They're still suffering, these people, but there was this heresy of that day called Gnosticism. It was very prevalent of that day, Gnosticism. Crazy, crazy heresy. Yeah, you can believe, just believe in mystical things. On and on, this heresy was deep and it was filtered into the church. Here's what happens. See, when you're not anchored to truth, you get anchored to error. When you're not anchored to truth, you're anchored to error. And here, through the living Word of God, we see this to you that are in the knowledge, full discernment, divine knowledge. Of who? Of God and of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. So if you wanted to break that down for in your notes, you could say of Theos, of Jesus Christos, of God, Theos, of Jesus, Jesus, Christos, Christ. And when you say that you're a Christian, you're saying you're a little Christ is what you're saying. Oh, I'm a Christian? Really? That's awesome. Congratulations. What does that mean? I'm a little Christ. I'm imitating the one who took my place. I'm imitating my master. He's my Lord and my master, and he's redeemed me. He's purchased me again. He's bought me back. He stood in my stead to do the one thing I could never do. We live in a culture that says, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We live in a culture that says, man, you go for the gusto. We live in a culture that says, hey, you go partay, and you know what? Just go partay. And Jesus says, no. All that's a cul-de-sac going nowhere. All that is just pain and heartache and digging the, the hole deeper that you're already standing in and you're trying to get out of. Jesus goes, if you really want to have peace, a tranquil state of the soul, 
The only way you can have true peace is through me, Jesus says. Jesus is known through Scripture as the Prince of Peace. We know that because of Christ, we have peace with God. So many people want the peace of God. They just don't want to make peace with God. Man, give me all the peace. Man, I can use a bunch of peace right now. Well, you got to give your life to Christ, and it's because of what He did that He now brings you to God. He, he brings you near. There, there's no longer the separation, but He brings you near by His blood, by His righteousness, as He propitiates, as He satisfies the wrath of God, as He imputes His blood, His righteousness to you. He now sees you, God does, as though you've been washed as white as snow. And so many people go, man, I don't want to sign up for that but I want peace. Biblical grace, biblical peace, biblical faith. My heart breaks at how many people, even inside churches all across our country today, ultimately have no clue of what those three terms really mean. It's by grace we've been saved. It's by faith that we please God, and He will give us the peace that surpasses all human understanding. Key number two, our last key, write this down. Key number two, to those who have given their lives to God through the righteousness of Jesus alone, His grace and peace increase in their lives as they become more intimate with Him and His Son, Jesus. Key number two, write this down. To those who have given their lives to God through the righteousness of Jesus alone, none other, his grace, his caress, his unmerited favor, and his peace, his tranquil state of the soul increase in their lives as they become more intimate with him and his son, Jesus. I don't know one person, I can't think of one person all of my life, not one, who is truly intimate with Christ, who's truly intimate with his word, who, who's intimate in discipleship. I can't think of one person in that genre that doesn't have some measure of peace. Now, I can think of a litany of people. I mean, I'm talking a litany of people that are the opposite. That there isn't intimacy. That there is not any intimacy with Christ. There's not intimacy with His Word. There's not intimacy in prayer and communion. And there's not intimacy in dying to self and Man, they are just searching. They are hungering. They are looking for anything, anything in this world to dull the pain and fill the void. I made this note. I said, for the person who is daily walking in union with Christ and is a lifelong learner of the attributes of God, what do you think is going to happen to their peace meter? What do you think is going to happen to their grace meter? What's going to happen to their faith meter? You look at that thought there back to the word faith, and there's a personal faith, and there is the faith that we have, the Christian faith. In order to have the Christian faith in your life, you must have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. There must be a declaration at some point in your life that says, you know what, 
I see who I am. When I look to God, when I look to Christ, when, when I look to them, I see the reflection of who I really am. And without Christ, you see that you're lost. You see that you're in dire need of not just a Savior, you're in dire need of the Savior, and the Savior's name is Jesus Christ. And yet, there's a battle going on. So many people, families, churches are living devoid of the Holy Spirit. I believe this. I think you can take so many families and churches and businesses and ball teams that, that you could remove the Holy Spirit, quote unquote, and so many people would have no clue that even left. It's something about walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. There are many that are quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit even today. He's got a stranglehold on their lives. Not the Holy Spirit, but the enemy, of course, as they're quenching and grieving. Let me give you this last set of verses, this last chunk that I pray will underpin key number two. Write down Psalm 63, 1 through 11. Psalm 63, 1 through 11. Listen to what the psalmist writes. Now, you want to talk about hungering and thirsting. There in the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the Word is so clear that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. Well, if you're here today, man, you're not satisfied. Man, you're just constantly just looking. You're bouncing from one thing to the next. But what is the next thing I can try that will hopefully satisfy me? Right there it is. Those who hunger and thirst, there's a desperation, a desire that says, God, I need you. You will be satisfied through his righteousness. Well, here's what the psalmist wrote. Listen to this in Psalm 63. My soul thirsts for you. This is the Psalm of David as he's in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, do you see the fervor? I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. When's the last time, church, that you beheld God's power and His glory? Listen to this. Well, this will cut to the core. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life. Let me read that again. God, we say this to you today. Your steadfast love is better than life itself. Therefore, the byproduct, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and what? Rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall what? They shall be portions for the jackals. Wow. But the king, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Wow, oh wow. 
You know, I'm convinced of this thought. We in the American church don't need a better strategy. We just need total surrender. Uh, We need a holy desperation. And I've studied the Bible, and here's the warning that I see all through Scripture. We can either joyfully become desperate and intentional for God, or He often, through the pages of this glorious book, will bring circumstances into our lives that will bring us to our knees. And then we will become desperate. I just think back to 9-11. What happened the Sunday after 9-11? Anyone know? Churches were filled to capacity. Why? Was that Pack-a-Pew Sunday? Is that what that was? No. God had our attention. Oh, church, I pray that you and I are not a people that are going to wait for God to get our attention. I pray that we will understand what faith and grace and peace really are. And even if none go with you, I mean, even if none go with you, be willing to be the man, the woman, the student, the child that says, you know what, I'm going to be the one. I'm going to go. I'm going to reach Chester if no one else will. Be the one. Don't get to the end of your life, church. Don't get to the end of your life with regret. They did a survey many years ago, and they said, what do you fear most in life? What do you fear most in life? And the number one answer was having lived a life, having made no difference at all number one answer. You can, have the, you can have the cars, you can have the house, you can have the cash. But the only thing that will last is your surrender to Christ and your making disciples. Because what will also last is not an eternity with Him, but an eternity apart from Him. So I pray today, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking in your life right now, like right now, I pray, Holy Spirit, will you move in power? Oh, God, will you show us your glory today, oh, God? Will you move in such a way, Holy Spirit, that all we know is it's you, and we all hit the deck, and we simply cry out, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to bring riches and glory and honor and life, and to Him be the praise, and to Him be the glory, and to Him be the dominion. And all God's people said, Oh, Father, we come before You today as we bow our heads and as we bow our hearts. Lord, I pray, maybe there's one here today, maybe several, but the reality is they've never given their life to Jesus Oh, Father, I pray, would you illuminate the light and the darkness right now? Oh, 
Oh, Father, I pray, will you move and stir in power in this place, in this time of reflection, in this time of decision. God, what what are you asking us to do? God, there's so many of us that are unfulfilled. We're searching. We're hurting. We're confused, God. Oh, Father, I pray, would you just move? That our problem is not in this temporal life. Our problem is in our spiritual life. Would you move in this place today for those who have never given their life to you? God, I pray today will be the day they'll step out. Just step out. Step out and say, I surrender all. I want this Jesus who's called the Christ. Maybe there's one here today that says, you know what? I want to unite with this church family. I want to be on mission for the mission. I want to affect the next generation to come. Father, give them courage to step out by faith. Holy Spirit, will you move in this place as we open the altar, as we pray, as we repent, as we seek your face, oh God, will you do something in this place that's never been done before? Oh, Father, we worship you, we honor you, we bless your name. And to you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.